0: Purchase necessary, VGW Group, void prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. Hey everyone, we've had a couple of abnormalities the last couple of Wednesdays, so just wanted to quickly review them so you don't miss anything. Two weeks ago, we released our 10 minute mystery on the murder of Toledo police officer William Miscannon. It did not release on every podcast platform, for some reason we don't understand. We think we've fixed it, but from the number of downloads, we can tell that a lot of regular listeners still haven't found it. So if you're missing that one, check your podcast app or go to ohiomysteries.com. There, if you look under the episode tab, scroll all the way down to the bottom to find the 10-minute mystery episodes, and William Iscannon will be near the bottom. Then, last Wednesday, our 10-minute mystery on the buried gold of Mad Anthony Wayne did not release at all. We caught that error and fixed it in time to drop it Sunday afternoon, but we wanted to make sure you didn't overlook it because we did drop our regular Sunday night episode. That one was Campfire Stories, Encounters with Beasts, And you might not have looked below that to see another episode had dropped that day. and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. This is your 10-minute mystery edition, a little slice of intrigue in the middle of your week. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with us as always, our storyteller and journalist, Paula Schleiss. Hi, everybody. In tonight's episode, we know who the victims were and how they died. It was a horrible, bloody affair that left a community stunned that such a thing could happen. The chief suspect killed himself. And while a case without a trial and a verdict usually remains an open question, in this case one of the victims survived, so there seems little doubt about who the butcher was. But even so, this case is a mystery of motive, for when it was all said and done, the townspeople could only guess as to what might have driven the killer to do the unspeakable things he did, because he didn't stay alive long enough to explain. It happened in Monroe County's Seneca Township. Monroe County is along Ohio's eastern border, across the Ohio River from West Virginia. It's a hilly terrain that marks its role as the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. And there, in the second half of the 1800s, a couple named Casper and Teresa Biedenbach raised their family. They immigrated to the U.S. from Germany, but all of their children were born here, first-generation Americans. Their oldest, Mary and John, were born in Pennsylvania. Their last five, Henry, Michael, Charles, Joseph, and Francis, were born and raised right there in Seneca Township. Francis is the child that concerns us tonight. They call him Frank. And in 1880, he was beginning his life as a husband and father. Frank had married a local girl three years earlier. Her name was Anna, the daughter of a well-known surveyor, John Jeffers, and his wife, Mary. In 1880, Frank was 26, Anna was 21, and their baby daughter, Catherine, had celebrated her first birthday. I don't know what Frank did for a living, but newspapers called him wealthy, and the couple did employ a servant girl, Mary. Also, temporarily staying with them was another young mother, Betsy Stevens, and her child. Now, late on the night of Saturday, November 6, 1880, neighbors woke to the sound of an alarm. News reports didn't say what the alarm was, but it was common for farmhouses to have bells outside, so it could have been that clanging echo that rousted them from their beds. The neighbors followed the sound and made it to the home of Frank and Anna Biedenbach, where they found the servant girl Mary at the source of the alarm. She was unconscious, but clearly had been attacked with a blunt object to her head. It was just a hint of the horrifying scene that awaited them inside. The neighbors ventured into the house and in the spare bedroom, they found Betsy Stevens and her child, both of them with their skulls crushed. In the master bedroom, where Frank and Anna usually slept with their infant child, the baby was alone, lying in a pool of blood. Her tiny neck had been cut open her head nearly removed from her body. But where was Frank and Anna? Frank's brother quickly arrived on the scene, answering the alarm as others had, and he found Anna. She was out in the milking field. Clearly, Anna had been in the fight of her life. Tufts of the woman's long hair were scattered over the ground, having been pulled out during a fierce encounter. But it's not a fight she could have won, because she, too, had been bludgeoned to death with a heavy object. Back at the house, the servant girl Mary returned to consciousness long enough to identify the axe-wielding monster that had torn through the house. It was Frank, Frank Biedenbach. He was drunk, she said. had been out drinking that night, and only returned home after everyone had gone to bed. With Mary's help and the evidence available, authorities soon pieced together a theory of what had happened. Frank had gone to his bedroom first, where Anna and Christine were sleeping. It appeared he had rained his first blow on Anna, terribly wounding but not killing her. He left her for dead, turning to his daughter next. He used the sharp edge of his axe to slice her neck. It appears the other three people in the house had not heard any of this, for when Frank entered the second bedroom, he wasn't met with any resistance. With a single blow from the blunt end of his axe, he crushed the skull of Betsy Stevens and then her sleeping child. But he couldn't work fast enough to surprise everyone in the room, because after the second killing there, He turned to find the servant girl awake. Mary sprang from her bed and ran toward the door, but she was no match for a grown and determined man with a deadly weapon. Frank reached her and clobbered her, satisfied she was dead. Authorities needed to explain how Anna Biedenbach ended up outside in the milking field. At first, news reports suggested Maybe she had been milking the cows when she was confronted. But that made no sense, given the late hour. And it was decided that Anna must have recovered from that first blow in the bedroom and made a run for it. Frank gave chase and overtook her outside, leading to that final desperate struggle. Frank, believing he had done all he could, left. But the servant girl was still alive. Mary made it to the alarm and sent the warning out into the night air. A search team was formed to look for Frank immediately, but it was dark, in an era when dark meant dark. There wasn't much they could do until dawn. But Frank, he wasn't going anywhere. In the morning, they found him in a tobacco house with his throat cut The slice wasn't deep enough to immediately kill him, so he was taken into custody. The ugly gap in his throat was hastily sewn shut, and he was thrown into a jail cell in Woodsfield, the county seat. None of this made sense to anyone, and Frank didn't live long enough to explain his madness. He was dead within 24 hours. Both Frank and Anna Biedenbach were buried in the same grave at Chapel Hill Cemetery in Burkhart. Their daughter lies beneath a separate marker right next to them. Betsy Stevens and her child were interred in a cemetery near Calais. I couldn't find out much about Betsy. She was the daughter of Washington Stevens and had been born in the neighborhood of Point Pleasant in Guernsey County, given that she was identified with her father's last name and not a married name. I don't know, perhaps she was staying with a beaten box because she had a child out of wedlock. We just don't know. Now, in the weeks, months, probably years after this horrific night, townspeople could only guess as to what drove Frank to slaughter two helpless women, two babies sleeping in their bed, and attack a third woman. Was there another lover involved? Was he jealous? Did parenthood overwhelm him? Was he simply insane? Someone did come forward with a story that suggested a serious mental illness. A Mr. Burkhart told police that Frank had once tried to purchase a revolver from him, mumbling something about wanting to shoot people and that maybe it would be best if he sent his daughter to heaven. Given that Frank didn't have a gun the night of his homicidal rage, it appears Mr. Burkhart wisely decided against the sale. But it's hard to stop someone with that kind of determination. The one thing that was well established was that Frank was a heavy drinker. In the end, with no other real explanation, His neighbors simply blamed it on the whiskey. By the way, if you go to research the story on your own, the newspaper's accounts from the day always refer to Frank and Anna's baby as a boy. But it was a girl, and you can visit hers and Frank and Anna's graves at Chapel Hill Cemetery. That's it for a 10-minute mystery. We'll see you here Sunday for our next regular full-sized episode. In the meantime, enjoy the rest of your week. May all of your mysteries...